Welcome to this special edition of the Abundant Yoga Teacher Podcast. My name is Amy McDonald. In this special series, I'm sharing with you 12 speakers from the Business of Yoga Speaker Series. I really hope you enjoy their wisdom. Hey everyone, it's Amy McDonald here, yoga business coach. Welcome back to the Business of Yoga Speaker Series. I'm really delighted to introduce to you today our very special guest, R.R. Shakti. Shakti, I didn't ask you at the beginning, whereabouts exactly are you in the world right now? I'm in Vail, Vail, Colorado, oh, nice. in the US. Yeah. yeah, so it's beautiful today. It's been a very snowy winter, but the sun is starting to break through again, and I think we're going to have a good spring. I love all the, in the mountains. Yes, all of the mountainy people who live in snow and think that it's I don't I have yet to have a, a beautiful experience of snow. It doesn't snow where I live. And um, I love <laughs> from people that I've only ever had like the muddy, slushy kind of snow. So I Ah, uh, you have to come visit. Right. It's actually it's so exquisite here in the mountains. Please. Yes, yes. Folks, I'm going to introduce R.R. Shakti formally by reading you her bio before we jump into what I know is going to be an absolutely luscious conversation. So R.R. Shakti PhD is a contemplative mythologist and yoga psychologist who holds a doctoral degree for her work in mythology and depth psychology. Shakti is an international yoga teacher, ritual facilitator, speaker and writer, and she presents a tantric approach to the personal empowerment and social action. Super interesting there. Through contemplative storytelling and mind-body practices, she offers a vision of deep peace and radical freedom. Beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> so tell, wait, <laughs> let's start by, um, just tell us, as far as your yoga business goes, what is it that you, what are the elements of it, the pieces of it that make up what you do every day in terms of, how you how you share yoga with the world yeah well it's evolving actually right now because i just finished my phd work last year and up until that time i was doing a lot of um yoga asana classes and mostly yoga teacher training mm -hmm. so throughout the course of mm, the teacher trainings i began in 2007 i started mm -hmm. teaching yoga in um 2000 2001 and so, you know, offering teacher trainings throughout the country, I started a couple yoga studios, but mostly traveled to studios that didn't already have yoga teacher trainings in place, mostly uh -huh. 200 hours. Uh -huh. and, um, and so as my teaching evolved, I started recognizing more and more that my heart um, is in the story, mm. the stories of the epic text, the stories of the... Um, you know, the, the Puranic texts, all of the stories, the myths that make up our yoga practice, yeah. and also the philosophy, you know, the teachings yeah. that come down through history, a lot of tantric teachings. And so as the um, uh, our teacher training programs grew, I would find myself kind of um, parsing out some of the alignment classes and anatomy classes and some of those more technical, um, you know, some soma, physical, physiological and anatomical yes, classes yes. to other people, because I was just getting so much delicious delight out of teaching the um, more of the myth and the philosophy and the history of the yoga. So that's where I've been putting a lot of my more of my attention. I still love teaching asana classes and will offer them whenever someone 
really when whenever someone asks me to and I go to festival you know I'll be at Steamboat Movement Festival this summer and a Rise Music Festival this summer offering um, asana classes but oh I just love I can't even help even in my asana classes just getting a little bit of a storytelling and some philosophy in there I can't do it without it so it's my favorite type of class so uh, could we talk then about uh, having offered teacher trainings for such a long time and having been teaching for such a long time, you, I can feel mm-hmm. the passion that you have for what you're talking about. That's a long time to sustain passion and enthusiasm in, in one particular field. What, what keeps you so inspired? Yeah, uh, that's a really good question. I think, you know, for me, yoga is being in participation with the whole creative dynamism of the universe. And it's a relationship. You know, I teach yoga as a relationship between the finite aspect of self and the infinite aspect of self. And so for me, the, what, what's at the forefront of my, uh, my intention and also my practice is um, really just having a deep relationship with spirit or whatever you know however you want to share your your word for the infinite creative source power mm-hmm. um and so that's evolving and changing all the time as i'm becoming more and more comfortable within my own skin and um in the relationships with you know people and the world the environment around me and so i feel myself being called in different ways. Um, and I think that the secret for me has been to just honor those deeper um, insights and pulls and primal instincts that say, hey, you know, maybe, maybe take a break from that particular aspect of teaching or the practice and, and focus on this for a little while and allow yourself to get immersed in a whole sort of new um, approach or a new angle because man when we're talking about the relationship between the finite and the infinite yoga that means that you can approach the practice from so many different doorways yeah um you know and so when one doorway feels like oh i've really gotten a lot from this, but maybe, maybe I need to take a little break from this and focus a little bit more on like food, for instance, how do I serve the infinite with my food? How do I, how do I, you know, maybe connect into Ayurvedic principles and the studies of like what we put in our bodies. Oh, okay. So I've gotten some enrichment from that and I've incorporated that in my lifestyle. Now, you know, maybe let's look at really diving into breath work. How, how have I been connecting with my breath and is there more that I can experience from you know, pranayama practices, for instance. And so just recognizing the voice from the visionary heart inside of you as it helps guide you into, um, you know, uh, new awareness, whoa, then there's, then it's unlimited and really spacious and never gets old. It's so beautifully put. And what comes up for me when you share that is how we can, rather than the business part being, oh, this is a thing that I have to do in order to do what I love, what it feels like you're describing is actually a process of exploration and creativity. That if we come to developing a business like that, it gets to be 
as we're talking about in an earlier interview, it gets to be about wonder and, and the inner work that then manifests as my business. And I think that's what shows, you know, I mean, I think more and more there's a, there's so much approach to business out there um, mm. that is more calculated. Like, okay, take these and the, this such and such action steps. And, you know, here's my outline for um, dominating social media, for instance, or here's my template for putting together, you know, the perfect, um, you know, business, yoga business. And I think that ultimately, since we're all so really different and we all have different approaches, what shines through is the passion and the enthusiasm and the true um, relationship that you hold to the practice, right? Yeah. So I think it starts any business, any business, and especially, you know, one where we're really talking about the potential for deep, deep transformation has to begin from heart center. And so if your heart stops, you know, if, you, if you're no longer in it from that perspective, I think it's palpable. I think you can feel it and it's time to take a break. Um, you know, it has to begin there. And then I think from that place of deep desire and, um, uh, and heartfelt, you know, real fire, true passion, then the, the second piece of it is really honing your craft. Mm. And, becoming more and more verse in um you know what what can um be of real service you know i mean that's where your passion and your heart and your compassion and your drive desire becomes manifest in something that actually can be of use to yeah. other people you know i always say if it's not you know, it begins with a direct relationship with spirit, but then if you, if, if you can't really use it in your interpersonal reaction, you know, relationships and interactions, what good is it? Mm. So we take it from the, you know, that esoteric plane of spiritual inquiry and deep self introspection and getting to know self, you know, on a, on a, on a, deeper level with a capital S and then what are you going to do with it? Now you take it out into the world and the way to be able to do that effectively is to hone your craft and skill of communicating, of sharing, of um, inspiring others. Yep. And then, yeah, so it's that it's heartfelt, then mastering your craft every single day and then just being you know yourself staying true to who who you are i, I love it yeah i i love it i agree and i i also think that um you know people often talk about oh there's so many yoga studios or there's so many teachers how do i compete in a full market and i like to say well there's no other you so if you be true to you what you're saying connect to the heart and offer that in service then there is no competition because nobody else can do that but i think actually it takes courage particularly for new teachers mm. to be brave enough to say well this is my yoga would you like to yeah do some with me is it yeah. is it did i'm interested to know when you first started teaching yeah. for me it was like a process of revelation that, that continues what i like to teach mm. how i like to teach what i like how i like to serve has it been a process for you to get to this point i know we'll talk more shortly about 
storytelling is a big part of, of the work that you do now. Did it, was it always like that or did it evolve over time? <laughs> yeah, it's been such an incredible evolution because in the beginning, um, I was very driven uh, um, to support people physiologically, actually, yep. physical body, yep. and um, did training like you in the beginning, a lot of early training with the Anusara community, and then had a um, passion for doing more structural yoga therapy. Um, I'm a body worker, a massage mm. therapist, and my husband is an integrative physiologist, mm. and so I was very intrigued with how to support people um, through physical injuries, um, and for special needs too, people who were maybe challenged in a way um, physically that were was preventing them or keeping them from the yoga studio, yep. and and making yoga more accessible for them. Mm -hmm. And what I and I still love that, you know. But what I found over time was that there was also this really deep work happening on a psycho-spiritual level. And, um, and so, you know, as we teach more and more, like I said before, we start to recognize that there are so many entry points to the practice. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's valuable as we go, as you go along to start to recognize where you really feel your passion you know where do you feel your calling and certainly there's room for people to teach just you know yoga as a comprehensive sort of holistic practice because that is what it is but I think as we become more specialized we recognize oh yes and there's a whole world that opens up when you talk about just potentially the psychology of you know, what's happening um, for trauma care, for instance. Yes. I mean, oh my goodness, yoga for trauma care, what an incredible service. Or, um, you know, or, or looking at maybe the kundalini practice and some of the ways of, um, of inspiring and awakening and bringing fire and awakening to the body. Um, so, you know, there's just so many different ways to approach the practice. And as I've gone along, I have had to, you know, I, I, I kind of, bring out the story of Kali, the, the archetype of, of, of destruction. You know, she just tears down <laughs> that are no longer of service. Mm. And she really does inspire and invoke, like you said, this attitude of courage to be able to say, mm. just because I could do something, or even because I'm, even if I'm really good at something, doesn't necessarily mean that I have to do it. Ooh, doesn't necessarily my. mean that that's my dharma or even that that's my dharma right now <laughs> and to get especially as creative beings i think sometimes i know for me it's easy to be like well i could do that and i could do that and yes 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 and yeah. then you end up with this whole tornado of just like stuff going on and you start to just feel busy and start to lose the passion because it's really just a lot of busyness that doesn't feed the soul anymore. So I think there can be something really powerful in invoking that Kali archetype and saying, no, no to this, <laughs> no to that, no, no, and slicing down all the things that aren't really of use for you or in service for your um, ultimate experience of, of passion in this moment, because 
you know, remember every time you say no to something, you're saying yes to other things. Yes. So, so just, that's a huge one. That's been big is learning how to say no and how to really keep, you know, honing the skill of listening in, becoming more and more clear so that when, you know, you're presented with opportunities to be able to recognize if they are in service to the picture of what you're offering or not. I love that. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's a teaching that applies on so many different scales to the, do you want to sub this class, which you don't really know, or through to, do I want to teach yoga asana anymore? Or do I want to go do something? You know, do I want to just lead kirtan and, and bath my heart in? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You got it. Love and it. there will always be, you know, when you're doing something from your heart with that passion, there will always be people that are drawn to you. There are so yes. many people. Yeah, there's tons of yoga teachers. That's true. But there's also tons of people. Like, like what? We're at almost... Eight a lot billion of or something yeah. now, yeah. So that's a lot of that's a big audience, and you're always going to have people that don't resonate with what you're doing for sure. And having the courage to face that, you know, there's that word comes in again, and yeah. to be able to have that Kali, you know, perspective of like, okay, let that go, just let that wash away, and then when you stand true in your newness in the, you know, the, the firm, um, solid place of this is what I'm offering and this is where I'm clear now, that's going to bring people to you. They're going to feel that. They're going to um, appreciate that. It's going to be attractive. So, you know, not to worry about uh, lack because that's just limiting in every way. Yeah. Oh, so beautifully yeah. put. Yay. Oh, I hope everybody's drinking this in. It's just oh, feels like a bomb. I love it. Um, I've got to ask, I've, I'm helping out a, a colleague to teach some philosophy in her teacher training. <laughs> and, um, and, and one of our authorizing bodies here, you know, to be qualified in yada, 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 here's all the things that you have to teach. And when they talk about philosophy, they say, oh, you have to teach, you have to teach Patanjali's yoga sutras and you can maybe do a little bit of the Bhagavad Gita, which for me is like, oh, <laughs> every, like I'm not being dismissive here in a deep respect, Thunder Pranam, but I'm not really lit up by the yoga sutras. It doesn't really call to me. Yeah. Uh, especially uh -huh. when there's like all of that to talk about. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So I, I'd love to know from your perspective, teaching teacher trainings over such a period of time, um, tell us, there's more to yoga philosophy than the yamas and the niyamas, right? Then the <laughs> Now let me tell you. So of course, most of your um, most of your curriculum or powers that be who are interested in formulating, you know, what the content that yoga teachers are going to most benefit from, we're gonna include yamas and niyamas, one hundred percent. And the reason is because. There's deep need for ethical sure. conduct in our world today. Mm -hmm. And there is a deep need for the recognition that yoga is accompanied by a set of guidelines for how we live our lives in relationship to each other, how we live our lives in relationship to the world. But I understand completely where you're <laughs> Now, now Patanjali's yoga sutras, it's a, it's, it's an 
you know, certainly an old text, and it has been translated and transformed through time to be looked at from different perspectives. However, originally that text is a classical yoga um, perspective. So it comes from the classical yoga teachings, and even Patanjali's eight limbs of yoga are sort of a transcendental experience of yoga, right? So if you follow me, this is something that we have experienced through history. Now we've been working with this idea of transcendental experience of God for a long time, mm -hmm. for quite a while, right? Mm -hmm. So this thought that to have a deeper relationship with infinite spirit, creative source, you know, that power that we all have different words for, names for, there has to be sort of an up and out of the human experience um, uh, pursuit. Yes. So, so this is Patanjali's pursuit, really, yes. right? Yes. You go through, you have the, 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 you know, your, your yamas, your niyamas, your, your asana, your, your, yeah. right? And, yeah. and the whole thing is a stair, stairway to heaven, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and this, and so, I think that what we're really, you know, ready for in the world today, craving is a more of a, um, an imminent relationship with divinity, not just a transcendental one. Yeah. And so this is, I think, what's so juicy for people is to recognize, hey, divinity is here right now, and the sacredness is happening between you and I right now in this moment. It's happening in our inter interpersonal relationships. It's happening, like I said before, with the foods that we decide to eat, with the clothes even that we decide to wear, how we decide to speak, how we decide to share. And so um, every single moment in relationship to the natural world, um, you know, our, our recognition of the divinity in the trees, in the sentient beings that are around us everywhere, all of this is yoga. And so our teachings from more of the non-dual tantric texts, you know, you're familiar, of course, with Douglas Brooks, you mentioned earlier, and, and when we were talking before, um, this this is, I think, you know, where people are starting to get jazzed because it's yeah. a recognition that it, that you don't have to go anywhere yes and in fact if you're looking outside of the moment and outside of the self you're really kind of potentially uh wasting your energy because right here right now is where divinity is and the yoga is in the recognition of that the participation of that experience with divinity now so i can understand this idea with the potentially yoga sutras and how you know that that idea of okay now we sit now get very quiet and now you know eventually if you're quiet enough and patient enough then something new will happen right mm -hmm. the truth is that the samadhi experience this experience of awakening can be had just simply by having a sip of water and yes. in that dynamic relationship between this moment right now what an incredible gift you know yeah that's yoga so I and i think that's where some of these other stories are starting to help you know the color and the life and the personality of the story is really a nod to what what I, when i say goddess um i don't mean that 
attached to any gender. I mean that as the essence of God in all things. Goddess is the essence of God in all things. So the Shakti, the power in all things. And so when we're looking at some of these kind of more um, juicy, colorful stories, like the Bhagavad Gita, like the David Mahatmya, like the Ramayana, you know, and there are many countless stories in the Puranic text. Yes. That it's kind of more nodding to the goddess, right? Like yes. this, is, this is something you can approach from your human experience right now and get a little yeah. taste of divinity in you. Yeah. I love it. You you know, know, I, 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 I get I, you, girl. I get you. Well, it just I feels sort of, sort of dry and structured. <laughs> and, you know, and over the um, Christmas, I've been sort of re-listening actually to the um, most recently the Mahabharata. And, the stuff in it, like it is saucy as all get out. Uh-huh. I, I keep thinking, hang on, what? That really happened? But within it, there's also all of these, in, like these sort of questioning moments and, hmm, is it okay for five men to have one wife? And let's talk about that. And what are the ethics of that? And how do we interact with, like, mm-hmm. I I'm going to be totally polarizing here. I think we can get all of those ethical guidelines from texts other than <laughs> it's <yoga> true. <laughs> well, the yoga sutras does a really good job of of yes, it all out, right. of like yes. making this perfect little outline. But what could be really juicy and what is an amazing way to, to 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 weave it all together is to look at maybe Saucha, for instance, or Tapas, or or Asteya, and then maybe weave in some stories from other yeah. texts that, that really express that going on. You know, yes. the ego is really the ego. You know, when I say the ego, I can say that, right? So like the aspect of you that you are familiar with, your conscious persona, mm-hmm. the ego is very one dimensional. The ego just wants to be cool basically right Mine like doesn't. it just wants to be right it just wants to be right and cool and like it's, the ego is very one-dimensional if you start to try to you know introduce other archetypes it, it's very threatened you know mm-hmm. and and this is where the these stories start to kind of open and awaken the awareness of all of the archetypes you know whether it's you know a woman having five husbands or a or um or a demon, right? Facing a God, you know, Um, I just, just posted a poem on my Facebook page about this idea of the demon as the shadow stuff that's in all of us. All Mm. of these archetypes are within each one of us. Mm. And so when we're looking at all of these myths, what we're actually doing is looking at yoga psychology, because we're looking at all of the different ways that the psyche can be and is sorting out the the content of the life experience mm. you know and so so yes when we think about these conflicts for instance um you know as an exterior conflict like um, all the good yogis and then all the other bad people that don't know how to eat right and are horrible to the environment or whatever, let's just say, then we're actually setting up 
same conflicts that have been happening down through history, creating wars and divisive, you know, experiences and relationships. And so this is one of the beautiful things about the yoga texts and these epic texts and these juicy, colorful, vibrant stories of demons and gods is that they can help us recognize that all of these archetypes are within each one of us. And then we become whole. We don't have to succumb to that ego's drive to just be one set personality and everyone else is wrong. We can recognize, you know what, there's some stuff inside of me that totally represents or reflects or resembles, I guess is the right word, that that Ravana, for instance, that demon. And I don't have to project that onto other people. I can actually own that as a part of my own psyche. Then some really juicy, awesome things can start happening because then you get to decide every moment of every single life experience, how you want to be, who you want to be. Do you see? And it just makes life much more freeing than having just a, I'm, I am Shakti and I am, you know, I only eat vegan food and I am, you know, kind to everyone. And if I'm not compassionate, if I wake up one morning and I'm just in a grouchy mood and I don't deal well with my husband, then I harbor that guilt and discomfort of just being human. And it just creates this horrible downward spiral, you know? So instead, uh, the invitation is there to be human and to allow all of the archetypes to have um, a message, something beautiful and exquisite to share and to, um, to express. And then you're not suppressing anything and creating actual real live monsters that do, you know, things outside of your, um, you know, yeah. awareness, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It also makes me think about, um, (laughs) this is wildly off topic. It's so much fun, but it also makes me think about like the idea of purity you know, that, that mm. what does that even mean? I had no idea. I had no idea about how Pandu died. I mean, there's a really kind of like, wow, that, that's a real, that's a, or like, like that Bhima had like the devil girlfriend. I mean, there's some interesting stuff in there. And, and, and I find, I wonder if sometimes people in yoga land can beat themselves up so much because they, or actually last night I went out and had beer and pizza, or like you said, I just, yes shouted at my partner or I wasn't p- compassionate with that student who was being needy with me. We c- and we can mm. give ourselves such a hard time because we should be more pure or in fact, people expect us to be because, Oh, well, but aren't you a yogi? And so you should never lose mm. your temper or you should, you're, you're, mm. you're buying that at the supermarket, you know, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So how do you, and this idea of purity and what that actually means, because it's much more complex than this is right and this is wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think about it more, less about purity and more about wholeness. Yes, yes. Yeah, and wholeness means wholeness. Wholeness, that means everything, right? If the infinite is infinite um, and we are reflections of infinite potential and infinite source, mm. then that means every single sparkling facet of the jewel is up for grabs at any given moment. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it is, it, it's, it's, it, it, it is an ego 
situation that we're talking about, you know, when we want it to look a certain way, we want it to feel perfect. Um, the picture of a yoga teacher, you know, we want to exemplify that in every moment of every day. And it's definitely a big hang up. It's not serving. It's very, very, um, well, it's delusional, frankly. I mean, really, because yeah. we're human and we're ever. So I think that for me, the biggest freedom has come in recognizing, oh, I am all those things that yeah. the potential is there for any myriad of, you know, any of the myriad expressions. Then it becomes more and more about listening and hearing the truth. You know, if you're always blocking that, that I don't want to look like that. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to, I, I can't that, you know, then you're missing some of the most um, important messages. You know, something, I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the shadows that I had for a very, very long time and still challenged is this idea of authenticity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Honesty, really, it's about being honest. Mm -hmm. I want people to think that I am being, um, myself, mm -hmm. that I'm being always true to like, this is me and not phony ever mm -hmm. or fake. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in fact, that's the worst thing you could tell me is, oh, she's so fake. Oh, I would just die like that. It's horrible. Like they don't know me at all. I'm not like that. I'm never fake. Right. And so this I know is a shadow because yeah shadows are what make us feel uncomfortable to think that we could ever, like we deny that we could ever, ever in a million years be like that. So then, you know, the deeper the shadow goes, the more that we project it onto other and you start to see other people and think, oh, they're just not being real. They're not being uh, uh, authentic. They're not being themselves because you're so in such, that quality of infinite potential has to be somewhere in you it has to be somewhere in your sphere of experience because you are everything so if you're not going to claim it in your own psyche then it has to exist sort of like um uh what's the word um circumnavigating or or uh, floating around outside of you it has to do you understand? And so you see it in everyone else. And until you actually claim it in and recognize that there's some value to it. So my husband and I were having a conversation about it. And he was like, you know, actors have to, like the ones that win the Academy Awards, right? Hmm. They actually have to become someone else in order to communicate a feeling or an experience in a really deep and profound way. Mm -hmm. And so when we're interacting with one another, there's a certain level of inauthenticity or of taking on another person. We call it, you know, the flip side or the, the upside of it would be what we call empathy. To uh -huh. be able to say, I can step out of myself and not just have this rigid like, oh, that's not me. I could never be like that. That's, oh, that's you. And I'm so different from you. Right. Yeah. To be able to open myself up enough to say, Hey, I can step into another person's shoes and another person's perspective enough to communicate, to connect, to be together. 
to be in withness with, you know, with, and so this is the upside of inauthenticity. Mm. And so to claim, to, set, to, to be able to look at all of the archetypes and all of the shadows, and instead of saying, oh, I could never be like that because yoga teachers are never like that, or mothers are never like that, or good daughters are never like that, to be able to recognize that every single archetypal energy that comes up through you actually has something to offer. And that when you're able to incorporate it on the great stage of all these players of the human experience, then you actually get the benefit of it rather than having it become a demon that is trying to really, you know, destroy you, essentially. I really like that. Um, it is a word that's, I mean, I use it all the time, authenticity. And I like that you made me think about it on a, on a, in a bigger way. I, that's really powerful. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, it's kind of interesting because then when you say like, um, I want to be myself, right? Yeah. The question isn't, okay, well, so who are you? But it's more about, well, what, what aspect of yourself are you wanting to be right now? Yes. And see, I think this is really important getting back to business because sometimes mm-hmm. we'll limit ourselves and we'll say, well, I'm not good at this or that, or I'm not... I'm not a singer or I'm not, I'm just not a good communicator or I'm not a good negotiator or I'm not good on social media or whatever it is. I'm bad with money. I don't know numbers. I'm bad with money. Yes. Or I'm just not very, yes. So, uh, so to be able to recognize that all of the archetypes are within you, there's no limit. There's no, there's not any one that's just missing from your psyche or missing from your potential. then it it opens the door for you to be able to choose in any given moment what particular archetype you want to call on. There's no such thing as phony. There's no such thing as fake it to your make it. There's no such thing because you actually already have the capacity for any archetypal energy, whether it's the, 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 you know, the, 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 the super money savvy one or the very sexy Aphrodite one or the Kali destroyer or the, all of those things are possible within you. And so it breaks down all of those walls. So you, the, you cannot be phony. You cannot be fake. It's all about being able to draw on what self you're always going to be yourself. There's no other way you can be what self yeah which one yeah does that make sense totally makes sense which one is going to be deepest service right now which one is the one that's going to let me access what i need right now yes i love it and that's the key right now yes right now and it's not destroying any of the it's not saying you know you're not we don't want you in this play everybody has their it's like if our lives were a play right if the human experience were a play all of the players, all of the characters have some time and some lines. And so you don't want the wrong character to come on at the wrong time and say the wrong lines that Mm. messes up the Mm. whole play. Right. So it's more orchestrating your, who, you know, all of your archetypes to serve right now. Yeah. So good. So good. Um, Let's check. I'm conscious of time. I, I would like to talk to you yeah. all along, but uh, we won't. So I want to talk 
switch directions and talk about the story work that you're doing. And then I have a follow-up question, which I think will be useful for folks that are watching. So tell us first about this story work that you're doing. What does it mean? How can we find out about it? Tell us more about that. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for bringing it in. So it's new. I just finished my PhD work last year. And so I've been in a really deep sort of the last, oh, six months to a year, kind of just feeling into what is next and how do I want to express and share, um, you know, what I've, um, what I've gleaned, like what's moving through me right now. And my PhD work was in the feminine principle, particularly for the purpose of sacred marriage. Mm -hmm. So it was um, the, the written, you know, the 250 page dissertation was on um, the history of the goddess through India mm -hmm. and her sub, Depression and then, you know, sort of reemergence through tantric teachings. Mm -hmm. And then also paralleled with the history of the feminine principle in the West. So looking yeah. at the history, the story, um, and then bringing that into fruition through Jung's idea of the feminine mm -hmm. and Carl Jung, the psychologist, mm -hmm. and the, the, the bridge between the two, the East and the West. I found to be alchemy, so esoteric alchemy. And as I started diving deeper into esoteric alchemy, I recognized that, oh, really, this is the foundation of yoga. Esoteric alchemy is the foundation of tantra. Mm -hmm. It's the foundation of the practice of hatha yoga. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when we even talk about the, the um, you know, the, the nadis, the ida and the pingala, this idea of the sun and the moon coming yeah. together, the fire and the water coming together. All of these kundalini practices are really based and built on um, this idea of esoteric alchemy. And esoteric alchemy was, you know, we think about it as like these crazy dudes trying to turn, you know, dirt into gold essentially, right? And yeah. get rich or whatever, you know, like that's how I always thought of it is like, how can we turn everything into gold and be really rich, really wealthy? Um, but the the dynamic of it on a deeper esoteric level is that the the wealth is in um, is a spiritual wealth. It is turning the human experience into a, a recognition of divinity and experiencing riches. You know, of course, the the gold is a is a symbol of. Um, of the of the awakening to wholeness so as i was moving through these you know stories and recognizing this whole underlying um uh uh deeper wisdom coursing through you know um alchemy and the teachings of tantra of course and and even Jungian psychology um you know what just keeps pulling me back is the value of story the value of you're recognizing your personal myth, your mm -hmm. stories that you're telling yourself right now. I mean, you know, you, you watching this are thinking right now in story. You have a story about Amy, you have a story about me, right? And so we're always thinking about thinking in story. And so being able to recognize those stories so that they're not just um, dictating our lives, through the ego, you know, but recognizing that they are 
um, that we're choosing them. We're actually actively creating them and recreating them all the time. And so being able to um, uh, change them when they don't serve us anymore mm. and, and, and choose the ones that empower us mm. and to be able to recognize that stories are archetypal and that they've been, um, they've been very, there have been many, many, many similar uh, stories down through history and all around the world. And what that does is it really unites us. It unifies us. It helps us to recognize how, how much we are the same and how much we are um, really all just different facets and uh, expressions of the universal one. So story has become so rich to me. And, um, and to be able to, even if you're not telling a full, you know, epic in your yoga class, to be able to relate to someone's story right now of what they're experiencing in their practice. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be an epic tale, but something as simple as, you know, I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I can't do that. These stories have a basis mm. and to be able to help someone transform to first see that they're telling a story, you know, that they're subscribing to a story and then to be able to help shift that story for someone, I think is one of the most transformational things that you can offer someone mm. because they can keep coming back and back and back and back and back. But until the story and the outlook of how they're doing their practice shifts, um, you know, that they're not going to experience those shifts in their body. They're not going to experience those shifts in their relationship to the practice. So, um, so that's what I've been kind of up to. And I just started and I'm so excited to continue to bring story to my website at rrshakti.com. And you can go there and there's ritual too. So, you know, I, 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 I recognize the deep um, relationship between the physical body and the psychology and the, the, the concept, you know, we can't really have concept without the movement. Movement is so, so, so important to move the energy and to actually do something with it. Um, so, you know, there's definitely ritual in there too, but there's a, um, I'm, I'm really starting to get into story, offering more stories from all world cultures, not just um, Korean and Hindu, some African stories, some Native American stories, but I'll tell you the story. It's an audio. You can, it's free. They're all free right now. I'll tell you the story and then, um, and then parse out the symbol and the archetype to help you understand what the meaning of the story could be for your life. If you if it resonates with you. And, and um, so watch for that. That's kind of my big offering for this year. It sounds, I'm, I'm so, so, so I just got to get in the car and drive somewhere just so that I can go and be like, listen to them all at once. And I think um, something that I, I think, you know, this is something to delight in for us as in experiencing that directly. But what I also suspect is that for people who are watching, who think, that they would like to, you know, if you'd like to incorporate story into your classes or if you'd like to dabble with a little, maybe like trying a little bit of philosophy, weaving mm -hmm. that into class, this is a, might be a way for you to, 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 to some examples of how can you then teach something and then connect it back to your students' experience. Because I think that a lot of people are nervous about, I'm inspired, but I'm not quite sure how to get started. So 
I imagine listening uh-huh. to your stories from with the ear of a teacher is also could also be a really useful resource for people. I hope so. I hope so because I think that once you start to look at the world this way, then it's kind of you can't it's impossible to unsee it, right? <laughs> and you start to see stories and hear stories that can be inspirational little um uh anchors for the theme of your class. Yes. Even, you know, sitting at the coffee shop, you might hear somebody um, you know, um communicating with one another in a really archetypal way that you wouldn't have maybe recognized before. So just starting to like really look at the world in this sort of symbolic archetypal way, um, recognizing these, um, these, you know, different ways of being, and then you'll see them all around and be able to incorporate them even just a little bit. It doesn't have to be, like I said, you don't have to tell a whole epic tale, but just even a, a quick little, um, you know, quick little tidbit about, you know, what happened to you this morning and the value. And here's a tip for yoga teachers for bringing a story in. I just want to express because it's really important that the story doesn't consume you and become about you, right? Nobody wants to hear like every day, like your life and like your kid, you know, and like what your kid did today, every day, right? Like nobody wants, but but what's important is to always offer an invitation. So it's so it goes, here's the story, right? Here's what happened. And then here's what that happening, that occurrence means to me. Uh-huh. To me. Like fairly, yeah. you can put yourself in there. And then here's the invitation for you to do something with this too. That invitation has to be there. You can't just end with like, and this is what it means to me. Now go ahead and bring your palms together. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. And I actually hear this sometimes in classes. I'm like, oh, but the missed opportunity there, because what we're really trying to do is unpack something and open something up for someone else, of course, to have their experience. And they're not going to have an experience just like you had, of course, but they're going to have the, um, the, the, they're still going to feel like you have offered them something, opened a door Mm. to something that perhaps they hadn't seen before. Mm. And I think that as yoga teachers, that's a huge part of what we're, that's what we're doing is opening the door to something that they haven't seen before. So don't forget that last tidbit, super important. What's the opportunity um, from, from the story for everyone? I like, I love it. And, and that it loops us back to where we started talking about relationship and the divinity in the moment that the it's the invitation to enter into that, which can be accepted in so many different ways by whoever it is that we're having the room full food for thought and, um, inspiration. And, uh, I'm feeling rekindled. I'm going to go back and reread all of my old, um, Uh, training manuals or all of that, all of that uh, foundational stuff. Thank you so much for being such a generous, uh, guest and a wise woman. I'm sure I'm not the only one who's feeling really, really inspired. Amy, thank you for having me. It's been really great to connect. If you've enjoyed these interviews and you're interested in having my support as your yoga business coach, check out the information about my coaching package at amymcdonald.com.au forward slash coaching.